Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you all a recap of the Thunder San Antonio Spurs game. So the top players, the top takeaways, and just the overall gist of what happened in Sunday's contest. And like always, I'm going to be giving you guys a special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook so you do not want to miss out on that one but just prefacing this game you have the thunder going in at two and six they haven't gotten a win against anybody else uh, other than the los angeles lakers and then for the san antonio spurs you know they're not really riding on that high of a horse either three and six is where they clock in at and then they were actually two and six before they got a victory against the Pelicans on Friday. So, all things considered, this is a jousting match between two of the conference's lowest teams on the totem pole right now. So, this has a lot of implications. This also is a good test to kind of see where everyone aligns in terms of maybe the bottom feeders of the league. I don't know if you want to call either a bottom feeder. Maybe you do. Um, But that's just kind of overall what this game uh, was like, or at least expectations. And... Before you go into it, there were a couple of other key additions that the Thunder had. I don't know if they're really key, uh, but Trey Mann, Vit Krejci, and Isaiah Roby all got to come back from the blue. They played a game at 11 a.m., and they were on the roster for the Thunder. So they had three new pickups, and then in terms of who was out, I think Gabrielle Deck uh, was really the extent of that. I don't know if he plays all that often anyways, but he was out. And then for the Spurs, they were pretty solid. So you go into this... And the Thunder just could not convert early. San Antonio, they got the first four points. Both of them coming right around the baskets. And then OKC starts fumbling the basketball around. Darius Baisley has a turnover. Josh Giddy has a turnover. And then San Antonio just starts cashing out. Doug McDermott has a three ball. And then Keldon Johnson on a fast break from a steal. He gets a dunk. So it's a 9-0 lead for the Spurs three minutes into the game. And Mark Dagnalt had to call a timeout, kind of get everybody recollected. They missed their first seven shots, so they needed something to start going their way, or else they get pitted down double digits by the six-minute mark. So you go back out, and they actually do find a basket. Darius Baisley got an alley-oop jam from Josh Giddy. He was kind of just surveying things from about 20 feet out. He found he kind of found Baisley just standing on the rim, so put two and two together, and you got a two-handed jam to get them up. Uh, but it didn't really last for long because Drew Eubanks, seven-foot center, he just had a scoop and score, a little hook shot in. And then, you know, it's back up to nine points. It's kind of wavering around seven uh, until the quarter reached his, uh, the midpoint. But then it got down to four. The Thunder, they kind of had a botched possession where Josh Giddy kept patrolling from up top. He kept trying to dump it inside. It wasn't working. And there was a kick out to Josh. Poku actually sent this one out where um, he shouldn't have. It was like a no-look uh, behind the back like it was wacky and it just goes backwards the ball is just kind of loose Josh Giddy collects it with like five seconds to go and he starts rolling up the court and he has to pop it from damn near half court 27 feet out it's not half court uh, but for Josh Giddy, that's a little bit past his range I'd say 23 24 might be his cap so he shoots it and it is nothing but bottom so he gets the three to go in it's a four point game and there's a little bit of new life 
in the building. And then with another offensive play, SGA goes out with an and one, still going to be at that four point game. And then San Antonio just started locking in. They had a couple of steals. They had a block on SGA with his hallmarked step back. It wasn't working there either. So they got to get a nine point lead yet again, turning the defense into offense. And then they were just failing to cash in uh, when you're looking at what the Thunder were doing. Really, both sides were kind of uh, struggling to finish out this frame. But the Spurs built on what they already had. They went on a 12-2 closing run. And they were up 28-14 going into the second quarter. So the Thunder automatically get doubled in terms of points. And they could not buy a basket. This is a quarter where, you know, you're looking at it on the surface. They had a plethora of of good looks. And honestly, a lot of them should have went in. There was just a lot of driving dishes, wide open threes, just didn't have to guard them. And it was working in the Spurs favor. But the deal is when you play that sort of game, it's a bit risky. So you go into the second quarter, a little bit of hope because the shots are good, but they just aren't falling. And then you're kind of just hoping that the Spurs aren't able to continue to destroy you off of those misses, those steals, and just the inside looks because they were really beasting in the paint because uh, when you look at it like I said 6 of 27 that's where the Thunder was shooting in the first and then 1 of 12 from 3 that's not going to uh, really get you anywhere so you go into the second quarter and a breath of fresh air enters the building Derek Favors he goes in with the second unit because Jeremiah Robinson Earl was the starter for the game and he had a mid-range jumper off of just a botched Teo Maladone drive like he's slashing in pretty much gets blocked before he can even sky up so it's one of those deals he's like three four feet out balls rolling Derek Favors picks it up from eight nine feet deep just pops it pop a shot nothing but nets and then on the very next play he got handsy Thaddeus Young he threw a pass and Favors got his hand on it, he deflected it, went the other way, and there were like three passes made, just making sure everybody gets a touch, make sure you get the highest quality look. It goes to Ty Jerome for a finger roll, and he sticks it to make it a 10-point game, and they're still knocking on the door of making it a single-digit contest, so the Spurs, they start getting looks again, sure, but Ty Jerome unlifted the baskets from three and this was huge because how bad they were doing he just hits that one three I think it was left wing and then Drew Eubanks tries to counter it he gets a post hook which is pretty nice for him Uh, but it was still at single digits regardless so you get it down to single digits now you're thinking could you make some sort of comeback here Um, but again Eubanks goes in 11 point lead and Mark Dagnall was not having it so he calls it timeouts and you know, he calls that, and he's looking to get better glances at the rim. He gets them. You get Teo wide open, right wing triples. He's got a pair of those. There's another wide open three, I think, for Kenrich. Uh, but they weren't falling. So all these shots coming from distance were just shanking left and right, front and center, just not going where it needed to be. And it was a major struggle. So they had six consecutive misses post-timeouts, and they didn't score a basket. So Mark Dagnall called another timeout after three minutes, and they were down 15. Seven-minute mark, 36-21. to 21. You got to unlift it, not just from three now, but really everywhere. And that's when you get Kenrich Williams thrusted out there. He's kind of old reliable with the group. And he didn't have to get it off of an actual shot. He drove inside, picked up a duo of free throws, and hit them both. 
uh, to kind of get them back in this scoring column, but they weren't completely out of it. They had a, a couple shots going for the Spurs, and then Mike Muscala counteracted it. I think the Spurs had four points to Kenrich's two, and then Mike Muscala was able to get inside. He got a really nice cutting dunk and then a pair of free throws to get the game back down to a round a Baker's dozen, and then they just keep going right back to Mike Muscala. No one else was hitting shots, but they just needed somebody, so they looked towards Mike Muscala as a point of emphasis, and he just starts going berserk. He hits two pretty much identical catch-and-shoot threes from the left corner. First one, I think Bayes dished it out to him, and he wasn't leaning. It was just a simple, clean-cut catch-and-shoot. Not a lot of defense. And then the second one, he was getting some defense coming from his right side, but it didn't matter, and he hit it again. Nothing but nets. You have Greg Popovich furious about it, but he didn't call a timeout, and it, it cost him a lot because you stroll back down. SGA's at the top of the key. He hits Mike Muscala off of a screen at the left wing, and he swishes it again. That's nine points for Mike Muscala. That's 13 consecutive for the 30-year-old, and it puts the Thunder in a position where they could actually cut this game back down, not just to single digits, but like single possession uh, by the time that the quarter is said and done. So it was very nice for them. Popovich had to call a timeout. Pretty much made sure that Mike was not touching the basketball after that, and it did work out in their favor because they got Devin Vassell going. He had an alley oop slam to put them up 15. And there's a minute left. Mike Muscala is getting sweltered. It's not going to happen. But the Thunder, they were still able to produce in the closing possessions. They got a pair of free throws. And then in the final play of the half, you have SGA driving inside. He finds Lou Dort at the right wing and he sticks the jumper. So it's a 10 point. 55 to 45 deficit come halftime. That's really good, all things considered, because they did not look uh, great at all in the first quarter, honestly. And outside of the Mike Muscala shot, I could see them being in the 30s at that point. And they actually would have been in the 30s, because Mike had 14 of the 45 points in the first half. And then when you check overall how they were doing, they were shooting 31.1% from the field. And then from three, just a quarter of the looks were going in. Six of 24. They were taking any single look they had from three. And you can't blame them. These were high quality shots. But it wasn't falling for them. And then for the Spurs, you know, they weren't going crazy from three actually at all. They didn't have to look there. They went five of 15, which is going to be better than 25%. But they were going right at the rim. They shot 47.2% inside, 25 of 53 overall. And the unsung hero was Drew Eubanks. Honestly, I have not heard much about Drew Eubanks outside of the G League outlet, the Summer League outlet, and honestly, that's going to do it there. But he goes in, and he already has double digits on the board. Perfect 5 of 5, 10 points and 8 rebounds. And there were two other guys in double figures for the Spurs. Uh, You had... Keldon Johnson with 12 points. And then also on top of it, Lonnie Walker, the fourth, was feeling it. He shot four of seven to get 10 points. And with the Thunder, it was only Mike Muscala. 14 points in seven minutes. That is spectacular. But how's everybody doing in the 17 minutes? He's not there. Answer is they were not doing well. And that's why you're down 10 points going into the third quarter. But as they went into the third quarter, they cut into single digits again. You had Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He had a driving layup, 
And then on the next possession, Drew Eubanks just was going errant. He clocked somebody. Offensive foul going the other way. And then Jeremiah Robinson Earl came up big again. He was just lurking around from the three-point arc. And then he got a high ball screen set. I think SGA was the one uh, who got the high ball screen. But he wraps around, finds Jeremiah Robinson Earl at the top of the key, catch and shoot. It's good. Five-point game. And it seemed like the Thunder were pretty much out of it, uh, like two, three minutes into that second quarter. So it looked magnificent for them. And then you had a play on the other end where the Spurs got to the foul line. There was a shooting foul ruled against Lou Dort. And believe it or not, the Spurs didn't have an opportunity at the charity stripe in the first half. And this is coming at a point where, you know, you're not only just looking at the fact they haven't gotten there yet, but also the situation. The Thunder, they're on a hot streak. They had Mike at the end of the uh, second quarter, had that big Lou Dort shot, and then Jeremiah's feeling it. Five-point game. You don't want to give them any light of day. So Mark calls the challenge. I think it's a pretty fair one. Uh, kind of one of those layups where both guys are like right under the rim. You just kind of pump fake. You get the other guy flying, and then that's going to lead to a foul most of the time. Dagnall calls it anyways. It doesn't go in his favor, so a timeout is exhausted. But it didn't matter. The two free throws did not go in, uh, but... It was still all right for them because they kept going. They kept getting twos after that play. But you still had to look at what the Thunder were doing. And they had Mike in the second quarter. They had SGA for the mini run in the third. He was playing one-man band. He had a step back, three, two layups going in his favor. Seven straight points for him. And then Josh Giddy on the play right after that. He had a finger roll to play later where... I thought he was going to do some crazy, crazy dunk. I was going to say something I probably shouldn't have there, uh, but it was a nasty looking setup. He takes it from the left wing, goes cross court and has a wide open lane. I don't know if they're expecting him to dump it off like he always does, but he doesn't do it. Goes up for a finger roll. He had the elevation to throw it down, uh, but he just kept it classy. He got the two points and you're looking at a four point game after that. So it was a beautiful and the Spurs, they had to be on the edge of their seat. Popovich couldn't be quicker uh, to call a timeout. I mean, he was adamant about it. You go out, and then the Thunder just kept striking. Off that timeout, you find Lou Dort for a standing layup, and then after a stop on the Spurs, you know, they're only down two points. You could get up a, a stick figure if you get somebody open, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl is just lurking around the right wing, and he gets the basketball. There's a closeout. Normally, when a guy like Roby or JRE goes up, no one's contesting them. Someone was going up on him, but it didn't matter. He took the three-point shot. He got it to go. He started vocalizing. He was pumped. Probably everybody should have been pumped, and they definitely were. They take their first lead of the game off of that, and OKC just kept running with it. They hung around that one-point lead. SGA got it up to three, actually. Uh, with a pair of free throws and then you got it up to five because Darius Baisley had it in transition it was a weird play where it was almost like cherry picking Bays had a standing dunk right in front of him he blew it but in the process Drew Eubanks and Kaeda Bates Diop they like bumped into each other those guys are both on the spurs but they bump into each other like right around the restricted area and they're on the ground. I think Bates Diop actually had to get pulled. Uh, he had to get tested because he was banged up after the play. But they were both on the ground. The ball is still bouncing. Lou Dort just strolls in, picks up the basketball, and puts it in for a five-point lead. 
and that was just major. They actually got it up to six uh, with a one free throw. I think Mike Muscala hit it. And with two minutes to go, you know, they're looking very, very damn solid. And the, the back end of this third quarter was ridiculous because you already have that comeback, but they just put a bow on it. Energy's just permeating throughout the roster. There's one play in particular where it's just chaotic. You know, this is a whole circus show. There's miss after miss. Everyone's scrambling for the loose ball, but it keeps going in the Thunder's favor. They got three consecutive offensive rebounds off of Mike Muscala misses. I think Teo might have had one in there, but they just kept going. And then the final snag was one where you have about three guys just clinging on to the basketball. Normally it could be a jump, but if one just overpowers the other, you know, it's going to be their basketball. And Mike Muscala did exactly that. You know, wide open look at the basket, like five feet out, just push shot, gets fouled. It goes in. He didn't make the free throw, but does it matter? I don't think it does because he gets that energy play out the way. They're up seven. And then in the final minute, of the quarter driving dish finds Alexei Pokashevsky at the left corner it's good they go up 10 points and they hold off with that 10 point lead they're up 79 to 69 going into the fourth quarter 34 to 14 swing from OKC it was ridiculous watching this live you know all the emotion just pouring in pouring in because these guys are so young making such advanced moves and then they're just not giving up. Three consecutive offensive rebounds. You don't see it that often. And you don't see it in this same fashion. You might see it where it's just bang, bang plays right around the cup. These are, you know, plays where they're getting the rebound, kicking it back out to the three, taking that shot, getting it again. And this is with a minute or two left. So it's also not like a seven second, just chuck up any prayer you want. You know, they're trying to dial up some good attempts and they definitely were. They got the best one with Mike at the end there. And they got a whole lot of momentum going into the final frame. So the Spurs, they got their back against the wall. They needed something in the fourth, and they did just that. They got two quick hits to dwindle it down to six points. And then the Thunder, you know, they're looking for some weird plays. They're in the half court where really nothing is formulating. I think SGA was out. Ty Jerome was one of the point guards. And the one play that stood out to me was like, he had it impromptu set up. He's at the left baseline. Yeah, left baseline. He drives inside and he throws a no look behind the back dump off to Derek Favors. It would have looked great, um, you know, if he drug in like the center as well, but it didn't happen. So Eubanks just gobbled it up. And then they went back on the other ends uh, and, you know, the Spurs got their look. So Dagnall had to call the timeout when they're still up six. Makes sense why he did that. Uh, but the play afterwards was pretty ugly. I think Ty Jerome just instantly took a three-pointer. Didn't land on the money. And then Trey Jones on the other side made a floater. Got the game down even further. It's a four-point game. And then Bryn Forbes. He's a bench guy with the Spurs now. He's with the Bucks. He's back. He hits a major three. 9-0 run to open the frame. And the Spurs are only down one point you need a basket if you're the thunder and they got it ty jerome got a floater of his own to get up three but it's still a single possession lead that's nothing it's something to be proud of definitely but you can't be sleeping tight if you're only up like one three five points hell even ten knowing this thunder team so you kind of keep the action going there's not a lot um but 
San Antonio, they got a bit of a laugh in here because they started getting the stripe again. They actually had a one-point lead, 84-83, to 83, uh, right around the five, six-minute mark. But Darius Baisley took over. They're down a point, right? So the Spurs, they're feeling themselves for the Thunder. You know, what do they have? You know, they had the great second and third frame, but Ty Jerome's like the only imprint they have from this, and Ty's floater was not that spectacular. But Darius Baisley checks in, and off an inbound, he just has a left corner triple. And normally with Bays, it doesn't even matter where he is on the court, honestly. If he has a wide open shot, it's going to take him a second to take it. And that's hesitation. No hesitation on this shot. Just immediately pops it. Someone's in his face. It didn't matter. Swishes it. Two-point game. And then on the very next possession, you get this play. I forgot who shot the basketball here. But it kind of shanked off of the right iron, and it's kind of just popping up in the air. And there's some crevices. Not everybody is boxing out. So what does Darius Baisley do? He just sneaks inside for a standing dunk, and he did not take his time on this. The basketball is easily two feet above the iron. He was able to get his right hand under the basketball, scoop it, and dunk it down emphatically Gets the whole entire Paycom Center on their feet. They take a four-point lead, and now it's all OKC in terms of the emotions. Everybody's getting hyped about it. You know, they have one play afterwards where, you know, you're kind of having to deal with all the emotions swaying, and you might let a bucket go in. Keldon Johnson gets it, but they're still on that track with all the momentum that they have built up. So they start getting steals. They get a block. Kenrich Williams got a layup. And then Jeremiah Robinson Earl, yet again, he hit the major three to cut it to five. He gets another three, hits it, 10-2 run for the Thunder, and they are up seven now. 93-86, to Popovich has to call a timeout, and they are still standing firm. They get a stop off of that timeout, and then they turn it into offense. SGA crosses the timeline. He sees Jeremiah Robinson Earl again, just sneaking in from the right baseline. Lofts a half-court lob. Jeremiah gets it, and he throws it down. Nine-point lead for the Thunder, and it stays that way until the two-minute mark. Once it reaches two minutes, you kind of got a bang-bang play. Thaddeus Young drives in from the right wing, crosses the foul line, and just kind of pushes up a random shot. Mike Muscala happened to hit him, and it banked in. So he had an and-one opportunity presented to him. He didn't make the free throw, but the Spurs were able to get the basketball back. They have another check-in, another inbound, and they find Thaddeus Young again for a layup. So that's a four-point play that gets it down to five points again, and there's still a lot of time left. We know this from how the Lakers game transpired, so you still need to watch out, and that only got stressed even further on the next play because the Thunder missed their shot, so it's a five-point game. If the Spurs are able to convert, you know, you're looking at a single-possession game yet again, and they got to the line, hit both of them. It is a three-point game now. So you're looking to get something. You got to make a basket, obviously. And Josh Giddy is the one taking it past the timeline. So he's hovering in the half court, starts at the right wing, and gets a step on his man. He drives inside. I think DeJounte Murray was the man on him. But he drags in multiple defenders as he does this. 
and then he just does his like hallmarked play where he skies up you don't know if it's a floater or a jump pass happens to be a jump pass Lou Dort is right around the cup hits him two-handed jam it's a five-point lead yet again the issue with that once again you get the big play but you got to get back down on the other end so San Antonio found Keldon Johnson literally took him five seconds he hits a layup makes it a three-point game with 47 seconds to go and you pretty much just put this on repeat and with that you're looking at a potential game sealer here if you make a three make a two doesn't matter it's a two possession lead and it's going to be a problem for san antonio they don't call timeouts darius Baisley is taking the basketball up court and nothing against Baisley; he has had a really good game to this point but should he be the primary ball handler in the clutch absolutely not and he had one of those moments moments of realization just kind of stops around the right corner and he brings the basketball back up he passes it to SGA and they really just reset which was major really good play by Bayes to do that and SGA is locked up by DeJounte Murray no breathing room he was at the top of the key kind of doing the deal where you wait till there's eight seven seconds to go in ISO no he wasn't going anywhere balls like sprawled out in the court like he has to get it again recovers so it's not a steal thank goodness but it's a pretty bad shot attempt so he has to chuck it doesn't hit iron and the spurs have a chance with 22.9 seconds to go three-point game you can sit on it and try to hit a potential game winner after the timeout they're just keeping those screens going making a couple passes here and there but they need to find someone for a three-point shot Lonnie Walker is the guy who it lands on. He pops a top of the key triple with just under eight seconds to go, and it did not go in. And right after it, you have a fight for the rebound. Mike Muscala gathers it. He gets hacked, goes to the line for two shots, hits the first, hits the second. That's ball game. Thunder win it 99 to 94. They pick up their third win on this season at three and six and for the Spurs they stay at three wins they got their seventh loss though so now the Thunder are actually above them in the conference standings and as Clemente Almanza said uh, from Bricktown Breakdown they're one and a half games away from the play-in now so serious business for the Bricktown boys and they're going into their next game on Wednesday against the Pelicans and they might have some extra momentum added you know they're on a back-to-back win and that hasn't happened in a very long time. They pick up their third win in a row. That's going to date back to January 10th of last year. That's the last time they did that. So just something to keep in mind heading into Wednesday's contest. But there's a lot to break down from this game. A lot of positives. Uh, and I'll be telling you guys that in a second. But first, I want to tell you guys about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. And the good deal they have going on now. The NHL season is underway, and at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, they have an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sports on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. It doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a depth deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TB. 
ESPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving forward to just the breakdown of this game, this one was ridiculous. You go into the second quarter, you're down 15, and the shots are not going in. But just like the Lakers games, you get those looks, they just aren't falling. And really, that's been the story of the Thunder for all season almost. You get SGA in the high ball screen, he drives in and he has wide open options really everywhere because they're putting a lot of emphasis down below. Makes sense why, you know, the Thunder are not a very good three-point shooting team, all things considered. And you get wide open threes and they're not going in. So if SGA wants to force it inside, he's a very good uh, shot creator. He can do it himself sometimes. Uh, But, you know, you're getting high quality looks. You kind of want to take those and if they don't go in, you don't want to cut them off. You know what I mean? You got to keep pushing at it. And this was one of those games. You just keep fighting tooth and nail until start uh, the shots start falling. And they ultimately do to close the game. And when you look at their overall shot chart, it doesn't look good. They shot 37%, 29.3% from distance. But they did get to the line. And that's just all the energy and all the force they were using inside. That was the one factor that really swayed this one. Went 17 of 20 from the charity stripe. For the Spurs, they didn't even get to take 10. They shot 6 of 9 at the charity stripe. They shot 41% in all and went 20% from downtown. So the Thunder actually outclassed them really everywhere. I mean, when you look at the overall breakdown, no. Because they weren't inside as much. But they made up for it with them just clashing into people inside and making the refs utilize their whistles but you look at the stat sheet this is the first game this season where SGA has actually not led the team in scoring SGA had 14 points the MVP honors though go to Mike Muscala he only played 14 minutes he had 20 points though and he had 14 in the first five minutes he was out there in the first half so he drops a 20 piece alongside four rebounds Goes 5 of 6, 3 of 4 from downtown, but how about this? 7 of 9 at the charity stripe. He gets the clutch free throws, he gets the clutch and one. He was a major, major problem for San Antonio. And you know what? They don't really have a lot of centers right now. They do have injuries to Zach Collins, Jock Landale, Jakob Pertle. Those three are all centers. They didn't get a play. So you had to make do with guys like Thad Young. But, you know, is Mike Muscala like this bulky traditional center? I don't think so. And even against Drew Eubanks, it didn't matter. You know, Mike just outplayed him. And in the clutch, he was the go-to guy for the Thunder. So all credit in the world has to go to him. If it weren't for those three catch-and-shoot triples, I honestly think this game would have swayed the other direction because they could not find anything from distance and after those three triples he actually only worked inside so that's a little bit telling on how the night was for him they really wanted to make sure he stayed off the three-point line but you know he found other 
ways. And I'm sure in the press conference, that's all you're going to be hearing about. I mean, Mike, he's a real leader with this roster. He kind of took them out of this major, major deficit and got them the W. So yeah, I'm sure to hear that from the players, definitely from Mark Dagnalt. And I don't know if Mike's the kind of guy to toot his own horn, but he definitely deserves to if he so chooses. So Mike was great. Uh, and it's almost one of those things where like, you know, he's really, really good. Do you play him more often? Like in the close contest, they are starting to put these vets in prime positions. Mike got to close it out. Normally Kenrich Williams is one of the top calling cards. He's 26, but he plays like he's 36. Very, very smart. And then you might whittle out uh, a guy like Darius Baisley, for example. They didn't really do that. I mean, the only real substitution was maybe Jeremiah for Mike Muscala, but you know, it was a very, very sweet touch, and it did give them uh, what they needed uh, with the victory on Sunday. So a lot of credit goes to Mike. A lot of credit also goes to Darius Baisley, though. I think if you're not giving MVP honors to Mike Muscala, you're going to give it to Darius, and that's one where people might be batting an eye like, what are you talking about? Darius Baisley had the best game of the season thus far, and Darius has dropped you know, 16 points, 15, 20 points, like it's nothing, but you got to look at the shot chart and you got to look at the overall impact he has. Normally when he drops 20 points, he's like the highest usage uh, guy you kind of have on the roster. And that's not a bad thing. Well, actually correction, it kind of is a bad thing because even when he is efficient, it's taking shots away from SGA and the way that Darius plays oftentimes when he has a lot of points, it involves him having to be a primary ball handler and honestly, he kind of gets tunnel vision on some of those drives. So you want to limit those. You also want to limit how many threes he's taken from distance. Because when he does get 16 points, that's great. You look at the initial shot chart, whatever. He's like 4 of 11. He's like 1 of 7 from downtown. And that is a glaring, glaring issue. And this game, he only shot one three. That one clutch three in that five-point stretch from him. The swish three from the left corner. That was his but then also that energy play off the putback. That sequence right there, that was where the Spurs were up 84 to 83. I honestly think, you know, they were looking to take control. They already had the 9-0 patch to begin the fourth quarter. They needed something. And Bays with those two plays in succession, got the building in a right state of mind. And after the Keldon play, you know, they were right back at it, just serving up points and getting into uh, the position that ultimately won them this contest. So those two plays were great. I mean, the final sequence where he decided to kick it back out to SGA, it's like a minor, minor, uh, minor, minor detail. But, you know, you look at games of the past, there's been times where Bays in clutch time wants to be the leader. And you know what? Maybe in time he'll get that. But SGA is on the team. SGA is a superstar. Bays knows SGA is a superstar. Everybody on that team knows SGA is a superstar. In those moments, it doesn't matter. If you're feeling it, whatever, man. You give it to SGA. You let him work. And even though SGA didn't get anything out of that play, it was still the correct decision because the way that Baze was slashing inside, he would have taken this shot where you're talking there's 40 seconds remaining, not 22.6. With 22.6, the Spurs have a completely different playbook. Let's say Baze does the deal like what Russ did on Thursday knees the ball out of bounds, right? 40 seconds. You're going to go out there. You have another chance to take a quick trigger three. If it goes in, oh, you're you're good. It's a tie game. If it doesn't, that's fine. You just wait it out. You're going to get another shot with like five, six, 
however many seconds to go. You don't give them that opportunity. You let the clock drain. And just a conservative play from Darius Baisley is what stuck out to me. He was a very sweet addition to the game. And he was one of the various swing factors. He had 11 points in the game. It's not a lot. But when you look at the significance of those 11, taking those over the 20 points, he's dropped any day of the week. And he'd probably say the same as well. Uh, at least I think he would be saying that because you know he was a major, major team contributor to Knights. Uh, and and that was big but also on top of the 11 points got 11 rebounds to go along with it and four assists when he's dropping 20 points you're not looking at the assists he's maybe getting one or two he's spreading it out evenly tonight and a lot of those passes led to some very good three-point opportunities on the kickouts I'll talk about who that kind of went to in a second here but he really was the jack of all trades and we have not seen that much from Darius so that five-point sequence just tied it all down he had that major three and then even when he was driving inside he wasn't pressing the issue wasn't taking stupid shots and in the in the fast break you know he was even making extra passes to make better looks and that was kind of the trademark of this team when you check what they were doing assist wise and then you know what Baisley was doing so normally with Bays, you kind of put him under a microscope you uh, look at him. If he has a good game on offense, you might say, oh, his defense sucked and vice versa. This is one where literally nothing was bad about his play and you can dissect it as much as you want. There might be one or two slip ups on defense. Offensively, most well-rounded performance we have seen from him. Maybe not even from just this season alone, but maybe also from last season as well. He's had a couple very good games. So I don't want to say that just yet, but this was one where his overall presence uh, made all of the difference. Same goes with Mike Muscala and same goes with Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He goes in, plays 24 minutes, starting minutes here, shoots five of nine, three of five from three, gets 13 points, four rebounds, and an assist. And Jeremiah Robinson Earl was not playing like a center. He was not down on the block trying to get rebounds trying to set screens I mean he was setting screens but not really inside he was either setting high ball screens or he was posted up at the corner and that was all he needed to do to be honest with you just get him from three he was looking just so confident from down there he was taking shots on closeouts he was hitting them three of five serious serious business for him he was the best three-point shooter really on this team obviously Mike Muscala was there in the conversation as well but you know as a starter this might have also been his best game too because he goes in he's kind of just a you know he's a moldable guy I think Bays uh, normally is not but you know JRE you're gonna get that every single game and this is the one where I think his mold actually meshed really well with what Baze was doing. So you kind of get that dynamic between the two that made these kickouts just so damn lethal and got them on the high side to finish this game. And Lou Dort, too, he finished with 13 points. So you can't really just go over him. He gets it a lot at what he was doing actually inside. The interior attack was a big deal. He shot 5 of 14, 1 of 7 from 3. So the shot is just not really going in. The one three that went in was that buzzer beater where he was pretty damn open. So he'll need to get his shot back. Luckily, the other guys were able to kind of rally around him. And you didn't really see it that much uh, until you're looking at this uh, shot chart here. But yeah, he was just making them pay off of drives. Really sneaky when it came to the backdoor cuts. He had two of those major, major standing dunks. And then he also had a layup that he kind of created uh, off of that sneakiness as well. So 
he was just kind of the player defensively he was locking things down but on offense just kind of hide in the shadows and reap the benefits of that so you know if he's back to his true self hitting like four of seven again it's going to be spectacular watching him but his three-point shot has just been a non-factor through uh, these nine games so he's going to have to ramp that up at some point luckily he did get seven rebounds so i don't know if that really counteracts anything but that was a nice little touch that he did bring on and of course i got to talk about sga this man had an impressive impressive game so you can't just go right past it uh you could probably put him at the very beginning if you want to you can make that case because he almost got a triple double 14 points eight rebounds and nine assists This was the first time, like I said, he didn't lead the team in scoring, but he was also playing a backseat role kind of in the clutch. Now, he did have that major three at the end that airballed, but kind of just had to play a back and just kick it around, find the best opportunity. He didn't have to play through one, and that paid off. So he shot five of 16, one of six from three, and then, you know, when you got guys like DeJounte on you the entire night, it's understandable why you'd be shooting one of six, but he still made it work when he was slashing to the basket. He had a really beautiful and one reverse layup he had during the patch that got it down to four points. And then obviously the kickouts, that's why you'd see him at five and 16. I mean, if he was his natural self, he was taking these layups around the basket. He probably would have got 25 just because of how many good, in his account, good layups, because he's one of the best finishers in the league. He can take contact, would have made him, but he kicked it out um you know I'd say at least five six seven probably eight times to the three for these shots and out of how many went in it's not gonna be 100% of course but he was just making the right reads in terms of passing and that's why you get him up to nine assists so he breaks Giddy's streak of leading the team in assists he still had a very good game though too he had seven points on three of ten shooting he was being used as a perimeter guy just like a lot of players in Uh, Sunday's game so he went one of six from downtown but he did get seven rebounds and had four assists that big 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 time pass to Lou Dort that got them up five he's always going to be instrumental in the clutch and he does not play uh, like he's the second youngest dude in the NBA he's getting better and better a lot of these passes uh, he's going up in the air to make them and you got the commentators just getting perplexed on how he knows and is able to scan everyone on the floor Just his height in general is a major, major weapon. So he's looking over everybody to see some guys like on alley-oops, for example, that Baisley alley-oop he tossed up. Typical guy, 6'3", 6'4", is not going to make that. Giddy saw it from the get-go, makes the read instantly, and gets you two points. So he just sees the floor differently. And when you put it with a guy like SGA, recipe for success. And Giddy, you know, this wasn't a good game uh, from three with him. Just like Dort, where that one three was wacky, came at the end of the quarter. Giddy's was that 27-footer that probably wouldn't have happened if a normal play would have occurred. It definitely wouldn't have happened. So he'll have to build off of that. I still think this is a net positive game for him. And it's really a net positive for everybody who played in this game, whether they were efficient or maybe not so efficient in the game. Ty Jerome is one that kind of hit in the stat sheet, but he did have a good game. I mean, he had another push in the first half that really did give them um, some power leading into the second half. In 14 minutes, he shot four of nine, only one of four from distance, but those buckets did obviously help him out. Kevin Williams went two of seven 
in the game. He got to the foul line a lot, though, so he did rack up seven points. Also had four rebounds. On the surface, it looks like this was a stinker of a game for him. It was a hell of a game for him. Very good work on defense, and he just was that cog that needed to be there so everything could operate a bit smoother. Also logged his uh, uh, 1,000th, yeah, 1,000th career point. That's what they had at the bottom during the game, so I'm going to run with it. So congratulations to Kenrich. Poku got to play for 18 minutes. He wasn't really his natural self where he's handling it like crazy. He's going to hit around, and that one three he made to put them up 10 was huge. So, you know, I'd say he was rather effective when he was playing. He did have one move, though. He's like going top of the key, slashing in, maybe to the foul line now, moving behind the back. This dude looks like he's straight out of 2K when he does behind the backs just because of all the space he covers with it. He got right by his dude. The problem was when he made the behind the back, bounced it a little bit too strong, so he didn't get there. But oh my God, I'm just picturing him getting a moving behind the back off, doing like a hop step or Euro step and just getting right inside for a finger roll. Oh my goodness. ESPN Sports Center, get ready because it would be there with Alexei Pokashevsky when he would do a play uh, like that. But past those guys, you kind of go to uh, the final two here. Only one of them really played, and Teo got a play for seven minutes. He was wide open on really all of his shots. He went 0 of 5 and 0 of 4 from 3. Now, normally, or at least last year, you'd see a lot of the threes coming off of playing with SGA and really playing second fiddle. I don't think he's a second fiddle anymore. I think that Ty Jerome might have overtaken him in the depth chart, and you can kind of start to see that. But also, Josh Giddy is going to be the one uh, primarily playing with SGA and taking those shots. So it does suck to see that because I know Teo has looked good, and when he unlocks three, he also looks like a very good passer. Um, but yeah, we didn't get to see much of it. Maybe he can go to the blue for some period of time. I know it was pondered uh, last season before they decided to keep him around, but yeah, just food for thought right there. And then one interesting little tidbit, Vit Kredshi got to play. He snuck in for the final five seconds of the third quarter, and it marks maybe historical territory for the organization because Vit played actually this morning when the Blue took on the Salt Lake City Stars. I might recap that in a little bit, but they beat him again pretty handedly. It was a 30-plus point blowout. Vit dropped seven or eight assists in the game. Good amount of jump passes there, and he was also able to drive inside a couple times. Looked good, uh, but you get the 11 a.m. game. He gets recalled back to the Thunder in addition to Mann and Roby, and he was the only one who got to play with the five-second period, but when you date back and try to figure out who's played same day, G League, and NBA. I don't really know, actually. I know Jordan Farmar did it uh, back 10 or so years ago, but that was when it was the D League. So if you want to maybe change it, say only G League, could he be the first guy? I'm not sure. Could he be the first guy in Thunder history? Also, we'll need to check back on you with that, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. I tried searching them up, couldn't find anything in the uh, search queries. So, you know, let's just give it to Vit Kredge unofficially right now. It's a little bit weird why they tossed him out there. I think they were going for some sort of statistic or some sort of record, and good for them for doing that, and good for Vit Kredge getting some run, uh, not just with the Blue, but also with the Thunder on Sunday. So 
that was good with them. I liked how they kind of shortened the rotation down. Really, when you look at it, it was a 10-man rotation. You could even whittle it down. I'd say 10 because I don't think Teo was really in the grand scheme for most of the night. But yeah, all worked as one. I think the only dude I didn't mention was Derek Favors. He was all right. He shot one of six, two points, and five rebounds. But you're looking at this as a team victory. Everybody did their share, and that's why they ended up on top. And when you look at the Spurs, you know, they had that kind of same mentality. They had Keldon Johnson with 22 points. A lot of other double-digit scorers, though. They had five others. They were There were guys on the bench doing it, too. Vassell had 10. Lonnie Walker had 15. Murray had 10. Eubanks had 14. McDermott had 10. But... You know, they couldn't stack up with the Thunder, uh, with those major, major plays at the end. So I think even though the Lakers games were like a lot more star-studded and there were a lot more highlights that might go to national media, this comeback, in my opinion, probably might go atop those two. And eh, I could see someone maybe saying the 26-point victory could go above it, but... The plays that we saw here. This was one where you're looking at five, six different guys and saying they had one hell of a game. I think with the other two comebacks, SGA was the star, and that's kind of the title. You can't just say one dude led the Thunder in this game. Mike Muscala, 20 points, but he only played 14 minutes. There was not one guy who who just did it all, right? Like, you didn't entrust just one player. There's four, five, six different players who got here. And honestly, there's 11. Add Kredgy, you got 12. Great, great performance for the Thunder, and I cannot wait for them to play the Pelicans on Wednesday. So I'll get you guys the game preview and recap for that one. Might talk OKC Blue in the next pod. Not sure. If you guys have not already checked out my Twitter, there is a $100 giveaway for an NBA gift card you guys can enter. Really simple steps. It's brought to you uh, by my friends at DraftKings Sportsbook and also the Basketball Podcast Network and Amaze Media Labs. So just make sure to check it out, and you guys might find yourself with $100 and an easy opportunity to pick up an SGA jersey, a Dort jersey, Poku jersey, anything you want jersey. If it's under $100, you can add it to your cart and pick it up for free. So check that out. You guys can check out my personal Twitter anyways. Check out the pods at ThunderstickPod. And that's going to do it for today's episode. So I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.